Amen. Well, Merry Christmas, church. Isn't it good to gather together and to sing songs to Jesus and about Jesus, to exult in our Savior, in his birth, and what he has come to do for us? And I'm so grateful that we get to do that together as a faith family. If you're a guest today, thank you for gathering. My name is Pastor Kenneth Bruce, and I have the privilege of being the pastor at the best church in the whole wide world. Uh, I'm a little biased, but I love my people, and I love our church so, so much. I do want to just address an elephant in the room. And that's the fact that we have kids in here, and I love it. So parents, I'll let you know that your kids are going to squirm, and they're going to scream, and I love it, okay? It does not bother me at all, and it doesn't bother your neighbors, and so feel free to relax. If a kid squeals and squirms, it is A-okay, all right? We're going to have some fun today, but it's a great day to celebrate the birth of our Savior. You know, there's someone whose story that really inspires me. Uh, his, the date was uh, 1904 was the year in which William Borden graduated from high school in Chicago. Now, William grew up in an extremely wealthy family. It was so wealthy that when he graduated from high school, his parents gifted him a trip around the world. But it's on this trip that William Borden traveled through Asia and Europe and parts of the Middle East, that he was exposed to great poverty and a lot of spiritual lostness. It stirred his heart with a desire to see people come to know Christ. He went on to college at Yale University, but his freshman year at Yale, his father passed away. But when his dad died, he became a millionaire through the inheritance. But throughout his college years, God continually stirred within William's heart a desire to go to the nations with the gospel. He graduated from college and went on to seminary where he began to study and began to pray, asking God, where would you send me? Where can I give my life for the greatest kingdom impact? God stirred his heart for the Muslim Chinese. And so he began preparing and studying. After he finished seminary, he stopped in Egypt on his way over there where he could study Arabic. And he began to study and to learn how we could communicate the gospel to the people. One month after arriving in Egypt, At the age of 25, he contracted spinal meningitis and died. Now, some might say, what a waste of a life. All that money, all that wealth, and you leave it all behind. The opportunity for comfort and all the worldly pleasures he could ever imagine, he gave it all up. But what we see in the life of William Borden is a guy who had a greater passion for the mission than for all of the wealth that he had accumulated. That's a picture of what Jesus has done at Christmas. That the king of kings, exalted in the heavens, seated on his throne, all the glory and the wealth of heaven is his as angels bow at his feet and he is exalted as God most high. And he leaves it all behind. And he humbles himself. And he enters into our world where he is born on Christmas Day. And we see a picture of the significance of what Christ has done for us at Christmas in Luke chapter 2. Let me show you. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 2. This Christmas, we as a faith family have been doing a sermon series called Holy Family. We have been looking at the family that makes up the Christmas story, who they are and what they did and what it means for us today. 
We saw three weeks ago in the story of the genealogy uh, in Matthew chapter 1 leading up to Jesus. We saw the scandal and the brokenness of the family tree of Jesus. We saw two weeks ago the, the earthly father of Jesus. We looked at Joseph. We saw where he was a godly man. He was a faithful husband and the adoptive father of Jesus. Last week, we looked at Mary, this virgin young girl whom God selected to be the mother of the son of God, where God raised her up not only to deliver, but to nurse, care for, love, and raise the son of God. And today, we are going to be introduced personally into the last person of the Holy Family, the most important person of the Holy Family, the Lord Jesus Christ. And we see his birth narrative in Luke chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, and the scripture says this. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that the whole empire should be registered. The first registration took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So everyone went to be registered, each to his own town. Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family line of David, to be registered along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. While they were there, the time came for her to give birth. Then she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger, because there was no guest room available for them." We see in the text, Caesar Augustus makes the decree, verse 1, that everyone participate in a census. For tax purposes, he wanted to know the population of his first century Roman Empire. Now, you think about the significant size of the Roman Empire. It went as far north as modern-day France and as far south as Egypt, as far west as Portugal, and as far east as modern-day Syria. The Roman Empire was vast. Well, with greedy intentions of collecting taxes from everyone under his domain, we see where Caesar Augustus has this plan of gathering the money from all of the people. And yet God had a bigger purpose at work to accomplish. Like a game of cosmic chess, God was sovereignly and providentially working through this decree to accomplish his greater purposes. He was setting the stage for the arrival of Jesus, God's one and only son. I want you to notice in the text how God providentially worked to fulfill his ultimate plan of providing salvation to the world through his son. The first thing we see in the text is we see the parents that God calls, God called to raise his son. We see Luke introduces us Mary back in chapter one and her engagement with the angel Gabriel. Now we meet Joseph in verse four. They're in the middle of their engagement stage of betrothal and their process of becoming a husband and wife. And we've seen over the past several weeks where how God raised up Mary and Joseph to be the earthly parents of Jesus. Joseph, as we saw back in Matthew chapter one, was of the family lineage of Abraham. God promised Abraham uh, 2,000 years before Christ that through him, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. We see where God is faithful. He keeps his promise that God through Abraham since Isaac and then Jacob and then an entire family line. This lineage continues forward all the way to we see in Matthew chapter one to King David. Through David, God makes a promise. King David, the Lord tells him, through you, I'm going to raise up a son. And this son is going to sit on your throne forever. 
He is going to rule and reign over the house of Israel forever. But as we go through the family lineage of David, we see king after king after king who failed and failed and failed. We never saw that true son of David who would come and rule and reign over Israel forever. But then as we follow along the lineage of God in which he planned forth, we see it go from Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the way down to David and Solomon and Rehoboam, down to Joseph, the earthly father of of Jesus, the adoptive father of Jesus. God sovereignly chose Mary and Joseph to be the earthly parents of the Son of God. Isn't that amazing? That God is sovereign over all things, that he selects these two humble people in the middle of nowhere, this poor husband and wife who have no financial advantage, no political power, no influence or sway in culture, and God selects them He sovereignly ordained for it to happen. And if you're a parent today, and I say to you, God has sovereignly and providentially selected you to be parents of your children. You are to raise them and to point them to the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the great privilege and honor that we have as parents, that God calls and selects us to have the children that he places within our family to raise and to shepherd and to point them to the Lord. Here are Mary and Joseph in the most impossible of situations. Their task, raise the perfect son of God. Can you imagine the weight and responsibility of that? But as they were dependent upon the Lord to give them grace and wisdom and mercy, so it is true for you. As you raise children and grandchildren, as you shepherd future generations, as you lean upon the Lord, he will give you grace and wisdom and mercy as you lean upon him. So we see the parents that God calls to raise the son of God. But the second thing I want you to see here in the text is the place that God preordained for his son's birth. We see in the text that it was the mission of Joseph, verse 4, to safely transport his pregnant, betrothed wife from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's about an 80-mile journey through mountains and valleys, facing the risk of bandits and bad weather. The census had to be registered, and they had to go to Bethlehem. No way around it. Well, as soon as Mary and Joseph arrive in Bethlehem, Mary goes in to labor. The time has come for her to give birth to her firstborn son. But because of the large number of people who have descended on Bethlehem because of the census, there's no place for them to stay. There's no room. There's no place for them to go in and have this baby. I've spent some time over in Bethlehem. And throughout the landscape of this small town, there are caves. There's caves everywhere. Not in the modern day cave in which you go underground, although many of them are, but these caves are almost like overarching. They have these, this covering. Oftentimes, shepherds would take their sheep into these caves for protection from the weather. Well, that was the option of Mary and Joseph, was to go to this gathering where there were stinky animals all around them, and they go in there for her to give birth there in Bethlehem. Isn't it amazing that here with animals gathered around, Mary gives birth to the king in the lowliest of places, in the most humble of circumstances. It's no mistake that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. If you backpedal into Micah chapter five, it says that Bethlehem Ephrathah, you are small among the clans of Judah. 
one will come from you to be ruler over Israel for me. His origin is from antiquity, from ancient times. Isn't it interesting that 700 years before the birth of Jesus, God called his shot. He said the Messiah is going to be born not in Tokyo, not in Jerusalem, not in New York City, but he's going to be born in Bethlehem, a very strategic place. In fact, when King Herod learned that there was another king born in his territory, he sought out to have that king killed. So he calls in the scribes and he says, where will this king be born? Where will the Messiah come from? And they tell him, Bethlehem. This is the place that God preordained for his son to come forth. But isn't it interesting here in Bethlehem, the same place where King David grew up, the place where he shepherded sheep, where he fought against predators, where he wrote songs of worship. It would be here that he would eventually be uh, ordained. He would be anointed to be the king over Israel. Huh. A shepherd king from Bethlehem. David was a forerunner of the true and greater shepherd king, the good shepherd, the king of kings, who was born in Bethlehem this Christmas that we celebrate. It is the arrival of this king who strategically came into this world through the town of Bethlehem. This small, out-of-the-way town, six miles south of Jerusalem, a place that is called Bethlehem. It means the house of bread. That indeed the bread of life would come through this small town that anyone who believes upon him would have eternal life forever. You see, God had a greater purpose when he chose Bethlehem as the launching pad for his son's salvation mission, which is the third thing we see, and it's the purpose that God sent Jesus into the world. The text says, verse 7, that Mary wrapped Jesus tightly in cloth. Now, certainly that was to keep him warm and safe and protected, but there's another layer to why she wraps him in cloth. You see, shepherds in Bethlehem would often wrap their baby lambs in cloth. They would wrap them up to protect them so that their skin would not get scraped up or to get nicked or to get bloodied. They would wrap them up to protect their coats and their bodies. Why? Because the sheep born in Bethlehem were born with a purpose. What was the purpose? They were born to die. You see, the sheep in Bethlehem were raised for temple sacrifice. They were bred as an atonement for the sins of God's people. But in order for the lamb to be used as a sacrifice, they had to be without blemish, without fault. They had to be clean and healthy and without stain or defects. So shepherds would wrap baby lambs to keep them from being damaged or blemished or flawed. In fact, when the angel of the Lord appeared to the shepherds in the field, if you look down at verse 12, he tells them, you will find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloth and lying in a manger. Those shepherds immediately knew what to look for. Because this is what they have done for years and years and years. They knew what to look for. Well, in the very town where lambs were born for temple sacrifice, 
as temporary atonement for the sins of God's people, we see ultimately Jesus was born as the perfect, unblemished Lamb of God wrapped in cloth who permanently takes away the sins of all who believe upon him. In fact, in Bethlehem, these caves, they have very sharp walls. If you were to rub your hand up against the, the walls of these caves, your hand would begin to bleed from how sharp they are, like, like sharp knives. So these lambs would be wrapped up to be protected so that when they would go into these caves to, to get away from the bad weather, they were to be protected so they could be a perfect, unblemished sacrifice at the temple. While Christy and I were over in Israel, We've developed some really close friendships with both Israeli Christians and Palestinian Christians who just people who love Jesus in the middle of just an awful conflict. While we were over there, uh, Christy and I took a picture. It's this picture I want to show you. In this picture, Christy and I are sitting on the Mount of Olives. Behind us is the temple complex. The gold dome is the dome of the rock. That is where the temple used to be back in Jesus' day. Over my left shoulder, I drew a blue circle around the eastern gate. It's also known as the Golden Gate. This would be the place that on the Day of Atonement, a unblemished lamb would be carried into the temple where that lamb would be sacrificed for the sins of God's people. If you were to fast forward to Luke chapter 19, we get to the last week of Jesus' life. We see on Palm Sunday, he is carried by a donkey into the temple complex through that eastern gate. The Lamb of God, perfect, unblemished, taken right into the heart where he would go and he would give his life as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. The perfect, unblemished Lamb of God wrapped in swaddling cloths is the same one who would go through that gate and he would give his life for the sins of the world. The Apostle Paul said it perfectly like this when he said in 1 Timothy chapter 1, he says, this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Jesus came for one purpose, and that was to give his life for you at the cross. That he would bleed, and he would suffer, and he would die on the cross for your forgiveness. You are so loved by God that Jesus gladly and willingly came to this earth for the purpose of ultimately going and giving his life for you at Calvary. That he bled and died as the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he is then buried, but he doesn't stay dead. From the third day, he comes back to life, and Jesus was risen from the dead. And those who trust in him by faith, you are forgiven of sin, given eternal life. You belong to God forever. And all of your sin and your shame and everything in your past that separates you from God is taken away by Jesus, paid in full by his perfect blood shed on the cross. This is the gospel that we grab hold of. This is why Christmas is such a celebration because we revel in who Christ is and what he has come to do for us in the gospel. In fact, this is what I want to call you to today. It's the impact point. This Christmas, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Jesus came to give his life for you, but there remains mere information if it stays in your head. 
For you just to acknowledge Jesus with your head is to miss the point of Christmas. That truth must permeate down into your heart in which from your heart you Put your faith and trust in Christ and Christ alone. You don't trust in your religion. You don't trust in your good works. You don't trust in worldly philosophy. You don't trust in all of your good intentions. You're trusting and banking your soul on the person and work of Jesus Christ who came and gave his life for you. This is why this Christmas, it's so important that you come to the point in time in your life in which you say, Lord, I believe. I am surrendering my life completely to you. You see, it's this precious gospel is what grabbed hold of William Borden. That as he saw the nations and people separated from God, he knew that the good news of the gospel could not stay with him. And so he gave up worldly wealth. He gave up worldly comfort. He gladly even was willing to give up his own life. Why? Because God himself in Jesus Christ gave up the wealth and the glory of heaven. And he humbled himself and he came to this earth in the form of a baby. He humbled himself and took on human flesh. He humbled himself and was born into a poor family in an out of town, out of the way place called Bethlehem. In an uncomfortable, dirty place like a stable. And he humbled himself ultimately by going to the cross where he gives his life for you. That God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You are so loved by God. How do we know this? Look at the cross. That is where Jesus comes and he shows you how much you are loved by God. And he invites you into a personal relationship with God. If you today you will turn from your sin and trust in him by faith. Jesus is the baby that was born for sacrifice.